Welcome to Tachlis Talks and next in our series on Pirkei Avos, the chapters of our fathers. We are going to focus this week on chapter 4, which is the chapter that's going to be read around the Jewish world this coming Shabbos, even though we have not yet highlighted number 3, but we were petitioned by some Tachlis Talks fans to follow the pattern we used to do when we did the parsha. We always looked at the upcoming parsha so that when it came Shabbos, Tachlis Talks listeners could be reminded of what we talked about in the podcast, maybe share that at a Shabbat table. And we're going to do the same, therefore, with Pirkei Avot. We will, at least for the next few weeks, address the upcoming portions, the upcoming Shabbos' chapter. And again, if you're reading through the chapter, you'll be reminded of what we addressed and something that you can hopefully share with others as well. If you encourage them to listen to Tachlis Talks, don't encourage them to subscribe on Shabbos, but encourage them before Shabbos or after Shabbos to join you in subscribing and hopefully gaining from Tachlis Talks. We're going to look within the fourth chapter at number 15. Some printings may divide it up differently and have this as a 14 or 16, but Rabbi Eliezer ben Shamua in this text, number 15, says that let the honor of your student be chaviv alecha, be as cherished by you, as dear to you, kishalach, as your own. Your student. Not your peer, not your master, but your student. But you should have a respect for them Show honor to them as much as you appreciate that honor for yourself. Next line, Chavod Chavercha, let the honor that you accord your friend be Kamora Rabach, like the fear of your teacher. And Mora Rabach, let the fear of your teacher be Kamora Shamayim, like that which you provide your reverence of heaven. Reverence of heaven, God. I mean, that's the ultimate. Fear of teacher should be like that. And then that translates into the honor you provide your friend. The mission apparently says yes. So number one, let's look at this issue of the fear of heaven translating into the type of fear you have of your teacher, the reverence, let's say, you have for your teacher. And the Talmud describes one of the great sages, Shimon HaMasuni, who had come to a determination that when the Torah uses the word es or et, aleph taf, a very, very common word, in the very first verse of the Torah, we have it in the beginning, God created Es HaShemayim, the Es Haaretz. There's two right there. That it goes together with the noun and it introduces the noun, a word we tend not to translate. But he viewed every S as somewhat of an expansion of the noun. So that it's coming to include something other than the noun that follows. We have that noun and something that's added on that's included as well. And this was a thesis that he had, apparently put enormous work into this, in determining one after another after another and finding how this was to be the case. And it was true in tens and scores and hundreds of examples. But then he hit a hurdle. The text describes, Es Hashem Tira, Fear God. Have that reverence for God. What could possibly be coupled together with God that the S is expanding and saying, aside from God, there's something else like God to be included in this mitzvah. What else is like God? And realizing nothing else is like God, he backed off. But backing off meant he now had a challenge to his entire thesis. Because if one of the words doesn't 
flow this way, doesn't translate this way, that's a challenge to believing that any of them flow that way. And he basically unplugged, he basically deflated his entire buildup, his entire thesis. And he said that heretofore I've been receiving word for the drisha, for by being doresh, for my... Uh, my learning and deriving and showing the meaning through this expansion of what the word S means, but now I realize that's a mistake and I'll get my reward for the prisha, for desisting and for giving up on all this and simply saying this was a mistake, starting again. This could have been days or weeks or months, maybe more, of study and analysis, but if it's wrong, it's wrong. Comes Rabbi Akiva and he says... I'll tell you what the S, what that S comes to include. S Hashem Like Hashem, there's something else to fear like God, and that is the Torah sage. Some understand. Because of the fact that he had witnessed Shimon Sunni's readiness to forego this whole project that he had built and put so much energy into due to the fact that he wanted truth and he couldn't find anything to fit into that verse and therefore... He was wrong about his thesis and he let it go. That proved to Rekiva that the Torah sage is worthy of respect that allows us to say in this regard, he's packaged together with God. We fear God and the Torah sage. And again, fear, let's say for now we use the term reverence. Another time we can talk more about what the whole issue of fear of heaven and fear of the sage, but the term reverence for now I think has us maybe in uncomfortable territory. We revere God, and revere the Torah sage. We revere the Torah sage, and as much as we revere the Torah sage, we are told in this Mishnah to provide respect, honor to our peer. No, our peer is not the Torah sage, for most of us. Our, our colleague, our friend, our peer, our associate, we are told to have that kavod, that honor, with some regard that is to be kamora rabbach, as if he's my teacher, who I provide this reverence as if he is God. Why? Where does this come from? We have mitzvahs in the Torah of honor. Honor your parent. Honor your teacher. Honor the elder. Honor the king. I'm not familiar with a verse that says, honor your friend. Kabedes avicha, not kabedes chavercha. You don't have an honor your friend verse. But apparently, even without a directive of a mitzvah, the concept is core and crucial. The, the honor of the other, we find just how crucial it is in this particular block of the year we are right now. We're in the Omer period, the period between Pesach and Shavuos, the period where we should be in an upswing, anticipating getting the Torah on Shavuos. We've left Egypt and we're headed towards Sinai, and not only in that earliest of generations, but we are again following suit, hopefully, uh, emotionally and spiritually and anticipating the possibility of reconnecting with God through intensive Torah study. And it should be a period of a certain positive, maybe blending with that positive, the seriousness and the awesomeness of the time. But ultimately, you know, pul- heart racing, pulse increasing as we're heading towards that very, very special day of Shuas. But there's another emotion. This period is a period of tragedy. It's a period we mourn the loss 
of Rabbi Akiva's 24,000 disciples. 24,000 star students of the lead Torah personality of the generation. Not just of that generation. Rabbi Akiva is the one that in the Talmud, Moses is quoting as looking into the history, into the future, and seeing Rabbi Akiva and asking God, why am I giving the Torah and not him? Rabbi Akiva, who in a certain sense is deemed to the oral Torah, what Moses is to the written Torah. His disciples, that means these are not just people who you know, occasionally pop in and hear a short class. These are people who are studying regularly with him. They are studying him. They are being prepared by him to be the leaders of the next generation, and 24,000 students die in this block of time. The jarring clash, we're heading towards Shavuot, we're heading towards getting the Torah, and this major setback, this loss of incredible Torah scholarship, this loss of the potential leaders who have disseminated, who would have disseminated Torah so intensely. We know the remaining five students of Rebekah become primary sources of Torah for the next generations. Imagine if we had 24,000, not just the five. And in explaining the spiritual underpinnings of their death, the Talmud points to one failure. No debate. No second opinion. At least not what we have recorded in the Talmud. The Talmud records, Mipnei Shlonahagu Kavod Zeh they lacked in some regard of providing each other with kavod, with respect. I am absolutely certain if we would walk into the study hall, we would not have seen any of them slapping the other, cursing out the other. We would have seen, what on the surface probably would have seen that, maybe the arguments that we have in the, in the Torah, Beit Midrash, you know, that type of you know, challenging each other, but that is not a lack of respect. Lack of respect would have to be on some level where these Torah giants, relative to their greatness and the standard to which God held them under that spotlight of his being attentive to every detail of their spiritual performance, there was some failure in their capacity to fully regard the other, to have that full kavod for the other. In this period of time, where we're focused towards getting the Torah, which, as Rav Volbi in his great work, Arle Shur, points out, our capacity to actually receive the Torah on Shavos in that first generation and in every future generation, when we recreate that, we revisit that potential, is dependent on our recognition of our own self-worth. That we are people who can study God's Torah. If you think about it, what kind of chutzpah do we have to think that our finite brain can grasp the infinite wisdom of God? Well, God tells us we can. He says, I'm giving you this Torah. You have the capacity to know. You have the capacity to master my Torah. If we believe that, if we internalize that, and if we work with that understanding, we can become those students of Torah. We can be the recipients of that Torah. When we lack an element of that kavod, we lack an element of that capacity to actually be recipients of Torah. And he understands the lo nagu kavod zebazeh, it's hard to project kavod on the other when you don't have the full kavod for yourself. And it's some flaw within their psyche. We can imagine 
Remember, this is a generation, this is destruction of the temple. We could imagine some sense of, can Israel really be what Israel's meant to be without the temple? Are we really capable of being spiritual beings, of really having a shavuos, of really having that capacity of intimate connectivity with God, the marriage of God and Israel? We can imagine why maybe in some level they failed to perceive their own incredible potential and greatness. But for whatever reason, there was some manifestation of that which translated into not being able to see the greatness of my peer, not being able to see my study partner for this the, the truth of his being in the image of God with a neshama that's in the connectivity with God who has the capacity to, to share with me in being a Torah recipient. Anshuas, there's something missing over there, lonagu and again, because of their unique stature, they warranted this level of strict justice and not being able to achieve another Shavuos. That message of Lonu Kavo Zebazeh in this period of time is actually one of the reasons why Pirkei Avos is commonly studied this time of year. Much of Pirkei Avos is about our better appreciating our need to perfect our character and to be as we talked about, I think, in uh, episode number one, to be perfecting within ourselves, our relationship with ourselves, so that we can perfect our relationship with the other as well. On the topic of kavod, and the reality that kavod, especially in our generation, where the whole concept is so remote, I was giving a class recently in reflecting how, if you look at the pictures of the stadiums, the ball games, the 1920s, People did something that is so contrary to how people act today. They actually put on clothes, dignified clothes. Women are there in fancy hats and dresses. The men are wearing suits. And people had a sense of personal dignity. You don't go to a public event, a public setting, without proper regard for the other person you were sitting with and proper regard for yourself rather distant from where we are today, but we need to get back there. The sense of kavod, the sense of recognition, that for me to be able to fulfill this Mishnah and to provide my student with kavod like kavod is cherished by me, I have to cherish it. I have to have a sense of personal kavod that I warrant, I warrant respect. We're not talking here about a condescending attitude towards others, but self-respect and the capacity to then project respect onto the other. So I want to close. The balance, the danger, when we focus a lot on self-respect is, oh, I need to make sure that so-and-so respects me, forgetting that it's my job to respect myself first. But we tend to start focusing on, wait a minute, she said, he did, she didn't invite me, he didn't pay attention to me, she cut me off on the road, and we, we, we focus on what the other did that's lacking, providing me respect. I think a great tool that can help us have a healthy balance of kavod and not letting this have us um, start agitating over other people not providing us kavod could be the following anecdote. It's told that Margaret Thatcher, she herself reported, having once gone to an event together with the queen, and making the terrible faux pas of showing up at the event 
wearing the same dress as the queen. Apparently, there must have been a sale at Target. They both picked up the same. I know, however it happened, they ended up wearing the same dress at this event. And I know any guys out there in Tahoe's Dogs Lands, I don't know. I've worn the same white shirt to certain events that every other guy in the room was wearing. But apparently, by women, this is a big deal. You don't show up wearing the same event as either the hostess or, if it happens to be that the queen is at the same event, don't wear the same dress. Mrs. Thatcher wrote a letter apologizing for having made that error and not having in advance checked with the director of the Queen's attire as to what Her Highness would have been wearing that evening. And she got back a letter. She got back a letter from the director of the Queen's attire, who sent back, no worries, Mrs. Thatcher. Her Highness pays no attention to that which is worn by commoners. Now, Margaret Thatcher was arguably one of the most powerful women in the world during her period as Prime Minister of England. But she was a commoner. Now, rather than seeing this as a display of a a haughtiness on the Queen's part, I think there's a very different lesson over here. If we treat ourselves as kings and queens, if we're focused on regarding ourselves for the greatness that we have because God has indicated we have that greatness. God has said, you can stand with me on Shavuos at Sinai. There's a union between God and Israel, a marriage in God and Israel. You are part of that. You can study my Torah. You can absorb my infinite wisdom. If we have that regard, which makes us nobility, we can look at those people around us who forget about just how much they should be respecting us and say, it doesn't have to bother me. I can measure myself with regard to my nobility using a different lens, and I don't pay attention to each comment or or forgetting to include me on the invitation list or not providing me with whatever respect I thought should have been due in this current context or situation. I can be kingly or queenly and not be attentive to that. If we can do that, we can hopefully... Develop the kavod safely and healthily. Kavod from the term kaved, which is a sense of weight, the sense that this matters. It's not light and fluffy and just disappearing. There's something of quality over here. I am something of quality. I have a capacity to achieve greatness. I see that in my peers as well. I respect them for that. I provide them that kavod. And in so doing, we can hopefully be excellent kavod providers to the other, rectify to some degree, that very tragic error of that generation that suffered so terribly in the period of Rabbi Kiva and all warrant, hopefully, an upcoming wonderful and elevating shuas just a few weeks ahead. In the meantime, a wonderful Shabbos before that.